we're going to get started with our lesson here. We've got a few more lessons we're going to cover in this series about unpacking the Christian life. I hope you've been enjoying just thinking about all the ways. And, and I think the one thing that's been kind of resounding in my own heart as I've been studying, preparing for these lessons from the Bible is that, you know, the struggle of the Christian life and life itself is real. We, we live with that day in, day out. I think as long as we're in this flesh, we're, we're going to experience that. And I'm glad that we have the hope that we have in the Word of God that when we're going through those times that we can go to the Word of God, we can go to God Himself, and the Lord can help us during those times. And today's subject uh, really is something that I think is one of the most precious things that God has ever extended toward us, and that is something we call grace, that God calls grace in the Word of God. And I like that I titled the lesson this morning, Understanding Inexhaustible Grace. Inexhaustible. And I hope you understand that word that, look, you can't wear out the grace of God. You can't use up the grace of God. Uh, God says His grace is sufficient. I mean, God is all sufficient. God has enough grace to go around. Aren't you glad for that? Because Look, I'm going to tell you something. Brother Gilbert uses a lot of God's grace. I want to make sure that I get some for myself, too, you know. And so, you know, I might use it all up, and, and Ernest might need some. And so we want to make sure we understand the grace of God. And so this morning, for our text, we're going to look in Revelation chapter number 2. And if you're familiar with Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3... There are seven churches that are mentioned here in these two chapters, and these were literal churches in an area known as Asia Minor. And uh, it's, I, I think that as you study the Word of God, and there are some differing of opinions, but again, I just try to stay biblical on this subject. I really believe that you can see that these were actually time periods and phases that the church has gone through, talking about the true church. And I hope you're, you're able to come tonight because we're going to continue our series uh, on Sunday night about the church. And we're going to look at one of those churches this morning as our text to try to understand this, this matter of God's grace, the inexhaustibleness of the grace of God. And so look at Revelation chapter 2, because the church that's mentioned here, beginning in verse number 1, it says, "...under the angel of the church of where? Ephesus." So, this was written to the church. Now, we know in our Bible, in the New Testament, we have a book in our Bible called what? The book of Ephesians. So we, we think about the church in, in Ephesus, and understand, just like if we said the church at Bible Baptist Church, when, when we talk about that, we, enter, we know that the church known as Bible Baptist Church is not a building. It might reside in this building, but the church is the people of God. So notice here that as the Holy Spirit uh, gives, I believe, John the writer here these words, he says to the church of Ephesus, Write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now notice what he says to this church. God is saying to them, I know thy what? Thy works. And thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. By the way, to that point, that sounds pretty good as far as the church is concerned. He says the church is working for God, it's laboring, 
it's being patient, it's, it, it, it's not tolerating evil. He says, thou hast tried them that say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Uh, you know, I think a church should have its spiritual antennas on, that if there's someone that comes in that has some teachings, some doctrine that's not from the Word of God, that we ought to say, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with the Scriptures. And Ephesus was one of those kinds of churches. It says in verse 3, going on, his, his saying to the church, you have borne and has patience for my name's sake, you've labored and has not fainted. Now up to that point, everything sounds great, but what's the first word in verse number four? Nevertheless. Nevertheless. You know, it's, it's one of those, look, all this stuff is wonderful, okay? But in verse number four, and by the way, I think a lot of times in our lives as Christians, we're doing this for the Lord, we're doing this for the Lord, we're, we're, we're living for God in this area of our lives, but I think that because as we know, Paul says, I've not yet apprehended, I'm not there yet, I'm a work in progress. Well, guess what God's saying to the church in Ephesus? Uh, look, you've done all this stuff, you're on the right track, I'm glad you're doing that, but nevertheless, there's something I want to talk to you about. And that's what he says here in verse number four. I have somewhat against thee. Now, you know, it's one thing if my wife says, hey, listen, I've got a problem with you. But it's a totally different thing when God says, I've got an issue that I want to talk to you about. By the way, I think that's a good reason to come to church so God can speak to us. I think that's a good reason to read our Bible is so that God can speak to us. And when God does speak to us, we should respond. Now watch what he says. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast what? Left thy first love. You know, there's a, now we understand, look here, out of the heart comes all the issues of life, right? So it sounds to me like the church in Ephesus, although they were a good church, sounds to me like they had a, they had a heart problem. And I think sometimes that's what happens in our lives is we, we have uh, something uh, tends to distract us because after we get saved, certainly I think most of us, we want to be something better than we were before we got saved for the Lord. Uh, certainly I, I, I realize old things are passed away and all things have become new. But can I tell you that many times our expectations to conquer sin and the flesh are oftentimes immediately something that is unrealistic. I think sometimes it's easy for us to set unrealistic expectations. Like, for instance, a lot of people, when they first get saved, their expectation is, I'm going to read the Bible through in a month. Now, it's not impossible if you don't want to do anything else for a month. But sometimes what we do is we set unrealistic expectations in our lives. In other words, we think we're going to be a super Christian in about two months. And that's unrealistic. Look what the Bible says, because the more we focus on the struggle that's in our lives, and I'm talking about once we're saved, you know, we were out with a guy yesterday and we had a chance to get out and enjoy some some uh, time together as a few men, and 
we were enjoying one another and it was, uh, you know, you, you, you know it was an interesting day when a group of men went fishing and the pastor who's not a fisherman is the only one that caught a fish. You know, and, and, and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. The guy, that, the guy we went with, his boat for the first time wouldn't, wouldn't keep running. He says it's never done that before. Uh, just one thing after another, after another, even after we finished, I mean, we were, we were out there fishing and he goes, Hey, let's go over here. This looks like a calm area. And I, I'm walking over there. And as I'm walking over there, I'm thinking there's something interesting in the water coming this way. It was about an eight foot alligator. And, and I went over there and I'm like, um, you sure you want to fish this spot? And he's like, yeah, he climbs over this guardrail. I said, I think I'll stay back here behind the guardrail. You go ahead if you want to fish up there. And so, I mean, he's, he's fishing. He's throwing his, his rod, his lure. He's throwing it right next to that. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, listen, that, that alligator's just waiting for me to catch something so he can take it from me. <laughs> I mean, he's just taunting this alligator. Brother Chris is over there, and Brother Chris is fishing away. And, and, and the, the, the alligator is like right down there by him. And I'm like, Brother Chris, you, you do know that that is a real live alligator. And the guy that had the boat says, uh, hey, do, do you think your wife wants a new pair of shoes? Because, you know, we could probably, I, he goes, I got my pistol. We could take care of that thing. And I was like, I'm like, man, I just came to have a good time. And you guys are taunting this eight-foot alligator, you know. And, and so we're out there and we finish. And we got ready to leave, and as we, as we took off, we had to go down the road and make a U-turn, come back up the other direction on Alligator Alley. And they call it Alligator Alley for a reason, you know? And we found that out yesterday. And, and so as we, we went down, we turned around, we came back up, and then we got a call from the other guy that had the boat. And he says, hey, listen, he says, where'd you turn around? He says, I, I, I missed the turnoff. And while I'm on the phone, he says, oh, man. He goes, I just had a blowout. And so we turned around and went back down there. By the time we got back down there, I mean, his tire came off. It bent the fender on his, uh, I mean, everything. And he says to me, you know, I've been reading my Bible the last three weeks. I don't understand this. And I said, I totally get it. You know, uh, anytime we try to live for the Lord, there's always going to be that struggle. There's always going to be that battle in our lives Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, because as we get into these struggles of life, here's what we do is we, we tend to focus more on the struggle, but you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to focus on the Lord. Look at the Bible says, I shared this with the men yesterday in verse number one, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every what? Weight and the sin that does so easily. Boy, you ought, if you're in the habit of writing, underlining, uh, highlighting in your Bible, whatever, you ought, that word easily, because there is for each one of us a sin that does so easily beset us. And he says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, God has a race for your life. And here's the key to that race is any racer knows that you don't focus, listen to me now, you don't focus on the person in the lane next to you. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who, as the Bible says here, for the joy that was set before him. Listen, folks, what did Jesus come and do when he was on this earth? He came and endured so much contradiction against himself. He suffered, bled, and died for our sins. And the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him. Boy, you think you're going through something. You think you're struggling. Life is difficult. Jesus went to Calvary and he, he suffered and endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says, for considered him. Folks, listen, when you're going through this battle and you're struggling, look, the Christian journey, you know what it really is in our lives is many times if you'll notice, the Christian journey is just kind of a repeating cycle over and over again. We go through something, we're up on the mountain, and then we're down in the valley. And then we're up on the mountain, we're down in the valley, right? It's just a repeating cycle. And as you think about that, this oftentimes is like my computer. Sometimes what I have to do is I have to hit a reset button. I've got a few programs. I've got a Bible program. I don't know. I just got used to it years ago, and I've been using it for I don't know how many years. And if I leave that Bible program open on my computer for any length of time, it'll freeze. And so what I have to do is I have to do it. I can't just quit that program. I have to do something called a force quit. You know, I have to take my computer, throw it against the wall, and then set it back you know, I have to force it to quit. But you know, what happens in our lives sometimes as Christians is, is that we have to be continually, now think about this, you, you ask yourself if this is not true, that because we get distracted and we start looking at other things and other people, we take our eyes off the Lord, and what the Christian life reminds us of is that continually I have to keep hitting that reset button so that I'll put my focus right back where it belongs, and that is on the Lord. Is that not true in our lives? It's, it's easy to get distracted, you know? Yesterday, we were, we were going over to, to that place, and as we were heading that way, there was an accident on the highway about 2.30, 3 o'clock, right there on 75 around Griff, Griffin Road. And as we were passing it, it looked like somebody undoubtedly got messed up with a motorcyclist. That's bad news here in South Florida because most motorcyclists don't wear helmets, you know, and there's nothing per, to protect them when they have an accident. And folks, it's easy to get your focus. And when we have to do that, look, we have to understand without the Lord, we'll become weary and without the Lord, we'll become faint. And if we don't understand what we're talking about here this morning, what the Lord was talking to that church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter number two how that they had left their first love. If we don't understand God's grace, what, what's going to happen is we're going to become weary and faint in our minds. And we have to be careful against that. We have to understand that the daily grind of the Christian life is real and it, it, can, it can cause us to become exhausted and even empty at times. So this morning, I want you with me to discover how growth, and we need to grow as Christians, how growth helps us to glorify God in our lives. How the things that we go through, the daily struggle, and then God's grace that's available, how it will help us to grow in our lives, how it will help that God will get the glory. So how do we do this? Notice, first of all, we have to understand 
this matter of holiness because I believe Christian growth is growing in holiness. Well, how do we grow? Because folks, look, you and I, we can't make ourselves holy. Even when I was a Catholic, I was a young Catholic, I used to think to myself, how do they make this water that they have in their, in their services holy? You know? Because, I'll tell you this, it might be holy, but as soon as I touch it, it's not holy anymore. You know, and, and, you know, it's not like they've got, the Catholic Church has some kind of spring in Italy where they get holy water out of it. But I know this, that according to the Word of God, when we got saved, according to the Bible, we, are, we became holy, saints, hagios, well, listen, you didn't make yourself holy. You became a saint, a child of God, when God saved you. And we need to understand that. So look, you know, many times, and here's what people struggle with. Notice here, first of all, this matter of self-righteousness. A lot of people, they try to live their lives, even after they're saved, by a set of rules and by a set of standards. Now look, the couple of things I'm going to say here, I hope you understand my heart, because many times I stand behind the pulpit, and uh, this is a different kind of pulpit this week. But uh, I, I stand behind the pulpit and I talk about, and I really believe that God's Word gives us doctrine, a set of beliefs that should govern our lives. And I think that from the Word of God, we can establish and, and we can clearly see some biblical standards that we should have in our lives. Now, I think we get in trouble when sometimes we, we, we try to make something that's not in the Word of God and that's something that I would probably categorize as a preference. And I hope, do you all under, kind of understand some of those terms I just used? It, it's okay to have preferences, but understand that many times those preferences are based, they should be based on a biblical standard. Uh, like I know some people, and I don't make fun of folks, everybody's different, everybody has the, the, the freedom and the right to choose what, what they want, but I, I've known people over the years, they won't go out to eat on Sunday. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt not go out to eat on Sundays. But the, the reason they do that is because they believe that to go out and eat would cause someone to work on the Lord's Day, and they don't want to be a part of causing someone to work, and so they choose not to go out and eat. You understand what I'm saying? So, but here's what happens is, is that some people become self-righteous because they try to live their lives by a set of rules that, listen, many times they have created themselves. And it's easy sometimes to do that. I tried not to do that as a parent. You know, it's one of those things when you're, when you're a father, you know, and your children ask you, but why? And you say, because I said so. It's easy to pull that dad card, you know. But I, tr I always try to, to govern my home and my children by biblical uh, standards and things that God had given to us, but a lot of people turn to rules and standards as a measuring stick about, okay, because I keep these, then I'm a spiritual person, all right? You can see this in the Word of God, people trying to adhere to a strict code. They're living under the law instead of growing by the grace of God. Remember Jesus many times dealt with a group of folks called Pharisees? These people were the supreme, in their minds, they were the supreme keepers of the law. They thought, look, there's not a better person today 
that can keep the law. Well, we, we understand, look here, when you study the Bible, what do you find? That the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to who? To, to Jesus, right? And we're not saved by the law, we're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, what's he call them? Hypocrites. They're stage actors. You know, they're saying one thing, they're living another way. Remember, remember here, look here, this is what the Pharisees, and by the way, this is why a lot of people in that day didn't want anything to do with, if I could put it this way, religion. Because remember, these were the religious leaders of the day. And I, by the way, I still think it's same, the same is true today. If we today who are Christians and people know we're Christians, if we don't live the same life by what we tell people we live by, then guess what we are? Hypocrites. So what happened is, is that Jesus calls them hypocrites, and here's what he says to them. He says, ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outside, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. In Matthew 15, he says, ye hypocrites, well did. In other words, Isaiah did a good job when he said, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of who? Of men. The things that they're teaching other people. Remember what the Pharisees would do? They would impose these heavy burdens on people that they themselves were not willing to do. And this is something that Jesus got onto these keepers of the law. He's saying to them, you are so far away from me because in your heart and mind, you are self-righteous. God, I believe, is interested in our lives in generating a life change by his power. Personal standards, good behavior, you know what they ought to be? Those standards you establish for yourself for your family, for your home, for your life, they ought to be a product of your love for Him. I do what I do because of my love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't do it for my own self-efforts that I might gain something out of it. Look, a Christian's ability to keep some sort of external list of rules is not a mark of one's spiritual maturity. You know, just because I can do this, do this, do this, do this, doesn't make me a spiritual person. Many times what it does is it makes me self-righteous. Now, if we're going to understand holiness, notice letter B, we do need to understand that we need to have a Christ-likeness. A Christ-likeness. God's interested in our holiness. Look what Peter says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. In other words, the things that we did before, we really didn't understand it because we didn't know Christ, we didn't have the Holy Spirit of God. We could have claimed ignorance, I didn't know back then, but notice what he goes on to say. But as he which hath called you is holy, that's talking about God, so be ye, what? Holy. 
Well, holy in how many ways? In all manner of conversation. You know what God's saying? Look, you can't just be holy at church on Sunday morning. He says, if, you're, if you are a child of God, if you're saved, before you did those things, you didn't understand. You were ignorant, but now that you've been saved, the Holy Spirit of God illumines you, helps you to understand that God is holy. And as his child, he has saved you and you are to be holy. Now, holiness, I don't have time to get all the way into this this morning, but I believe this matter of being holy involves a, a standard of separation. Separation from the world, separation from things that would pull you back into the world. I believe that God has a, a specific life, the word here, conversation, that he wants all of us to live. And the Bible says here, look at this, be ye holy, for I am holy. God says, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you that you are representing me in this world. And people need to understand me, but they're not going to understand me if they're watching you. Are you with me this morning? I found this to be very convicting because people are watching me. What, what are they seeing in me? Because if I'm not living a life that is pleasing and holy to the Lord, then guess what? I am a direct reflection of him. See, there's this Christ-likeness. I think all of us know by now the word Christian means like Christ, a little Christ. And, and we tell people all the time, well, I'm a Christian. Folks, God desires for our holiness to make us more like himself rather than a self-standard. Holiness is another way of saying to be like Christ, Christ-likeness. God, listen, when God saved us, he rescued us from the penalty of sin. He gave us an internal holiness that is because we've been declared holy through Jesus Christ when we were born again by the Spirit of God. But there's also an external holiness, and this is the disconnect for a lot of people. See, a lot of people think, well, I am saved. The Bible says one saved, always saved. So I know that I'm going to heaven. So I, look, it doesn't matter how I live. You ever heard this? Doesn't matter how I live because I know, I mean, it's almost like they reach in their pocket. I got my get out of jail free card. Can I tell you folks like that, even Christians do not understand the grace of God. Because I believe that what took place on the inside really should manifest itself on the outside. So when you think of an external holiness, this is that God has rescued us from the power of sin. See, it's, it's that renewal daily. Remember what Paul said, I die how often? Now, did he physically die every day? No. Now, there were a couple days where Paul was stoned and shipwrecked and on and on and on, right? But Paul only died one time. But Paul says every day it's a struggle. But he realized that he had been rescued by God from the power of sin. It, and so look here, what is it in Paul, and by the way, in you and me, that needs to be renewed every day? Our mind and our hearts. Every day, right? Remember, look here, let's go back to our text. Maybe you forgot. Jesus said, you've been doing all these things. He says, I'm, I'm glad, I'm, you know, praise the Lord, you're doing this and this and this, but 
Nevertheless, I, I have somewhat against you because you have what? Left your first love. So there's a, there's a problem. Now the problem, look here, the problem is not on God's part. The problem is on our part. We've, we've left that love. You know, it's, it's like the husband and wife that have been married for 20, 30, 40 years. You know, she's my wife. And she should know it. She should be grateful that she's my wife. She is lucky that she's my wife, you know. But the truth is, is that if you loved her the way you loved her 20, 30, 40 years ago, you wouldn't be saying those kind of things. You know, I think I th it's easy. Look here. Some of us, we've been saved. I, this year is my 34th year. I'm 34 years old. Do you doubt me? In Christ, sorry. So the thing is, is that there is this gradual transformation that takes place externally. And, and we need to be consistent with that in our lives. So there's an internal holiness, there's an external holiness. I love this, there's an eternal holiness. That one day, listen, we will be rescued from the very presence of sin when we stand in the presence of Almighty God. What a wonderful day that's going to be. And, and when we think about this, look, if we're going to understand the grace of God, we have to be like Him. He is holy, therefore we should be holy. We need to be Christ-like instead of self-righteous. You with me? Now look at the second thing we need to see this morning is there is this matter of measuring maturity. Measuring maturity. Now, look, I, I don't, I, and Gilbert always thinks I pick on him, but I usually pick on people I love, so he, he's going to feel real loved today. But, but the thing is, look, I'm glad Brother Gilbert's growing in the Lord, but my job is not to measure his maturity. My job is to see if I'm growing, to see if I am farther along in my Christian life than I was the day that I got saved. But we have to be careful about what we measure ourselves by. See, certainly, watch this. You remember when maybe you did this at your home, that maybe you had like a, a, like a door jam or something, and you put, you put your kids back up against that, and you're a line on top of their head, and you wrote their age or whatever, and then you kept doing that, and, and it was like the wife's, she would never let the husband paint that door jam. You know, that's like a sacred thing in the house, you know? Every time she, she goes by there, she just stands there and stares at it and cries, you know, because her kids are no longer, you know, back, that was back in the days when the kids listened to you, and they don't do that anymore, you know. But there has to be a way to measure ourselves, and look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, we dare not measure ourselves, uh, make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, Comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Look, I'm going to tell you, Jesus didn't say it, but I almost have to believe in his day on this earth that he would have clearly said, don't measure your life by the Pharisees. That's not a good gauge. Now, going back to our last point, what are we to measure ourselves by? The Lord Jesus. I want to be like him. 
you know, young kids, it's, it's easy for young kids to, to idolize sports figures. You know, I want to be like him when I grow up. You know, the desire of every Christian, young and old alike, should be that I want to be like Jesus. Measuring ourselves, Galatians 6.14, Paul wrote to those in that church and said, God forbid that I should glory, save or only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know what growth is? Growth is success. If we're growing we're walking with him, we're yielding with him. And look here, if you're doing that day after day, year after year, you know what you are as a Christian? Successful. Growing in the Lord. You know what God rewards? Faithfulness. And you know what the Lord's saying to all of us? Just stay in the fight. Just keep growing. And, and look, don't, don't focus on the externals. God wants to, us to focus on our hearts. Anything that we can do for him ought to be an outflow of what's taken place in our hearts, what the Lord's done. Remember, listen, the Bible says that he loved us first before we ever loved him. And there, there, there's great dangers in the Christian life. Some of those dangers are idolatry, uh, defection. Uh, John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, uh, Jude, look at verse 21, keep yourselves where? In the love of God. The moment you are saved until the moment that you stand in his presence, guess what? There, th listen to me now, there has been and there will always be a fight for your heart. You know why? Because the devil loves to have your, your attention, your affection. It's a fight, it's a battle for your affections. And the question is, what will happen to us when we wander from the Lord? Because many Christians do. And I want you to see, look at number three. Here's what happens is this matter of failing forward. Failing forward. The, the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter number two, they were a church that was doing some things, but I believe it's a great example for us to understand the grace of God, this matter of the inexhaustibleness of the grace of God. See, they were failing. They, they were successful by their own standards, but they were failing by God's standard. And that's what we ought to gauge our lives bar, by is that you and I need to understand that we need to be successful in the eyes of the Lord. So look at a couple steps that I think will help us to turn our failures into opportunities. Now, you can just you know, fall asleep for this next point if you don't have any failures in your life. If you've never made a mistake or you think you will never make a mistake, then don't pay attention to this next point. But I can tell you this, I needed to know how I could take the failures that happened in my life and turn it into opportunities for the Lord. So let me give you a couple practical things and biblical things this morning how we, we need to understand to turn these failures into opportunities. Letter A, remember where you came from. Where you came from. Sometimes I talk to people and if they've got a little bit of an accent, uh, there was a young lady here about a week ago and I was talking to her as she was walking up the aisle and I said, where are you from? And uh, I, actually I said, if you don't mind me asking, where are you from? And she said, I'm from Columbia. And I said, really? 
And the first thought on my mind was this little lady right here. And I, I, I turned around. She was right here. And I said, Janet, come here. I want you to meet someone. And I introduced her to that, to that young lady. I mean, they started talking. I couldn't understand a word they were saying because she's, she's got the gift of tongues. And uh, they were just going to town. Next thing I know, they went out the door. I texted Greg later. I said, I said, how do things go? And Brother Greg says, oh, we're at the restaurant. He said, we went to a Colombian restaurant. I didn't even know they had a Colombian restaurant around here, but Janet undoubtedly knows where all the Colombian restaurants are. And they sat and talked. And listen, I would have never been able to do that. But I think that, you know, as I texted them, I said to this dear couple, thank you for taking the time because Greg relayed to me that she said, she has no family and no friends here at all. She's all by herself. And I said, and, and that was Sunday night. I had preached that message about the church, and I said to Greg in the text, I said, thank you for doing that. And Greg texted back and said, just doing our mission. And I, I texted him back and said, oh, you listened in church. <laughs> it's always a good thing when we listen in church, right? But listen, it's easy to forget where we came from. Sometimes I see Christians do this. They see somebody come in the door. Or they see somebody out in the community that might not look kind of like they do. Maybe they, maybe they ha might have a smell to them or whatever. And they tend to start looking down their nose. God, by his Holy Spirit, has always reminded me where I was when he found me. And by the way, where I was heading when he found me. And we need to make sure that we remember, see, real Christianity is a struggle. It, it, Paul described it like this, the good fight of faith. Look what he, he wrote to Timothy. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Paul said that his struggle was a good one. You know, remember, remember the, the children of Israel, God says, hey, look, I'm going to give you the land that flows with milk and honey. And I mean, you're going to be able to enjoy all this. But the only thing about it is, Joshua, you got to fight all these people that are already living there. But God says, you don't have to go it alone. I'll be with you. As a matter of fact, I'll fight for you. Sound like a pretty good thing to me. Hey, the Lord is on our side. He's the captain of the host, right? And so we, we, we think about in our lives how failure for Joshua and the children of Israel, failure was never final. The only time failure is final is when we decide to quit. And Paul says, look, I'm not giving up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this good fight of faith. But see, when we fall, if we, look, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, guess what happens? The Lord helps us to get back up. Remember Paul? He's lying there in a pile of rocks. And all of a sudden somebody says, hey, his hand just moved. Paul got up and he, listen, he didn't go the other direction. He didn't go to a holiday inn. He went right back into the very same town to those very same people that had just stoned him. You know why? Because I think Paul remembered where he came from. Look at number two. If we're going to turn our failures into opportunities, remember that God ordained this struggle. What you're going through, can I tell you this morning, God allows it. Remember the story of Job? God allowed it, right? It was father-filtered. 
our old nature when we got saved died an immediate death. But guess what happens? This flesh that we live in, it's dying a slow death. This flesh just doesn't go away. Our daily struggle and the faith we have in God, you know what it eventually does? It glorifies God. Even when we fail, fighting forward in faith, I really believe, brings glory to God. And it brings pleasure to Him. Look what He says to us in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, look, folks, God has ordained this struggle. God's allowed it to happen in our lives. But look, he gave us the armor to stay in the fight. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't forget it. You know, one of our guys, and he's not in this auditorium this morning, so if, if I tell this story, it, it, it's not about you. But he's, he came to church one day, and, he's, and, and I was talking to him, and he says, I forgot my teeth. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I forgot a lot of things before, but I've never forgot my teeth, you know? And, and sometimes we forget certain things. Can I tell you, look, every day you get up, just like brushing your teeth, combing your hair, putting on your clothes, you need to put on your spiritual armor. You know why? Because when you step out that door, and sometimes even before you step out that door, you're stepping into the fight. And we have to remember that as we step into that fight, that God has ordained the struggle. He's allowed it. Let her see. Here's another thing. If we're going to turn our trials into uh, 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 opportunities, let her see. Remember that there is no condemnation. You know why? Because Jesus was condemned for us. Remember, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. The Bible says there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When our hearts, your heart and mine, when our hearts condemn us, that's just the flesh, folks. Can I tell you, when that happens, don't listen to the flesh. Don't give place to the devil or the flesh in your life. John says, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Listen, we have to listen to God and not to our hearts, okay? So there's no condemnation, letter D. Remember that this struggle serves a purpose. What you're going through, it's not about trying harder, it's about trusting deeper. Trusting God in a greater way. We don't win by setting up rules and living by our own self-effort. We win by repenting and returning to our, here it is, first love. Who's our first love? It's not my wife. My first love is the Lord Jesus. We've got to get back to loving the Lord. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There is only one thing to do when we fail. Did you hear what I said? When we fail, there's only one thing to do. It's the same thing that David, the shepherd boy, the sweet psalmist of Israel did. We need to repent, acknowledge our sin, and seek his face. 
Aren't you glad God put 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. You know what that's called? Repentance. It's a change of thinking, uh, acknowledging of sin, running to Him. Somebody said Jesus is someone to run to, not from. Run to Jesus. He's someone to hide in, not from. If we're going to survive, and it, listen, I really enjoy the Christian life, then we will uh, need to understand this matter of repenting, and we need to be good at repenting. Every successful Christian was good at hitting that reset button, repenting of things in our hearts to be right with God. Don't let your work for Jesus, self-righteousness, don't let your work for Jesus overshadow your love of Jesus. I hope you love him today. We desperately need to understand God's inexhaustible grace. And there's a word that we use when we think about the grace of God. Anybody remember what it is? What kind of grace is it? Starts with the letter A. Amazing. Is it not amazing grace? How sweet the sound. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace, Lord, your long-suffering towards us. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are holy and that you want us to be a holy people. And Lord, we need to make sure in our lives that we measure ourselves by the standard of the Word of God and not by other people. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us that as we fail, as we make mistakes, as we realize that our focus, our heart is away from you, that we would come back to you. Lord, thank you for the struggles, but most of all, thank you for being there with us as we go through them. Lord, for your grace that's extended toward us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.